On Sunday night, we've been teaching out of the book of James, but um, in about two weeks, our church is going to be making one of the most important decisions this church will ever make. It will be selecting, electing some men to serve as deacons in the church, not more than 15 men to serve with the active group of deacons. That's a very important time, and I thought it would be necessary, or important at least, to spend a, one service, this service tonight, just to kind of do some teaching with regarding the office of the deacon. Now, I'm sure that there are a lot of things you're thinking in your mind, man alive, what is this? I know there are a lot of more interesting things and inspiring things than to hear about deacons. But I, um, I think that in the life of any church, what we decide and who we select as deacon could be strategic to the life of that church. And so I want us to lay some groundwork. The first passage that I'll be using is, is the book of Acts, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now you help me out, if you will, right now. What a crowd. I don't believe I've ever seen better Sunday night crowds. Aren't you impressed, you who visit with us at the crowds here on Sunday night? Man, alive. You can't go anywhere in Oklahoma and find a better crowd on, on Sunday night than at First Baptist Church. Durant, it's amazing. It's great. I know you've come to eat ice cream, but that's okay. You, <laughs> you're here anyway. Um, I want you to help me out. Um, I want you to answer this question. I'd like for you to stand and answer the question, if you will. To me, a deacon is... Now be careful, don't, don't rip one if you've got, got one you want whose name you want to call. Uh, to me, a deacon is, who will be first? A committed Christian. Thank you, Louise. To me, a deacon is. A burden bearer. Thank you, Ray. A spiritual man. One who should be ready to lend a helping hand. Miss Courtney? Pardon me? Has a leadership with all people. Okay, strong in his convictions. Okay, beyond, re beyond reproach, above reproach. Thank you, Jim. A deacon is a man of a deep prayer life. A faithful man, all right. A man with a servant's heart and not a master's heart. All right, he's hospitable. 
Pardon me? A study of Scripture. All right. What do you mean by that? You, oh, he studies the Scripture. All right. Thank you, Miss Staten. He's a man of God's Word, studies God's Word. Anyone else? Yes. Oh, good. Thank you, Brother Bob. Somebody who's consistent every day. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. All right. A consecrated Christian who can handle the weighty problems of the church. Thank you for helping me. Let's see if we can find that kind of man. What kind of a deacon does the church need? What kind of man? I'm sure that I'm not going to get all of what I want to talk about tonight. And I know what you're going to say. The only time he lets us out on time is when he's got ice cream back there. But, but it's, uh, I'm going to cut this. <laughs> you know what you're saying, Dean? That's what I thought. Uh, but I want to cut this sermon in half, and I'll get to rest next week. Acts 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this particular task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. One of the first things I heard when I uh, gave my life to the ministry of preaching and to the pastoral ministry, one of the first things I began to hear were negative stories and statements about the deacons. I went on to the seminar, to the uh, to college, and I lived in the uh, uh, complex for college students. A married group lived out in, in college apartments. And a lot of the fellows who lived where I lived, where we lived, were ministerial students, preachers. Most of them had little country churches they were pastoring while they were going to, uh, to Hardin-Simmons, to college. Every one of them had stories about deacons. And every story was a sad one. And I, not, not pastoring at that particular time, I just started college, I began to imagine in my mind what it must be like to have deacons in the church. I, um, I, I, I dreamed up, I, I envisioned, I, I had this kind of a concept of what the deacons must be in a Baptist church. And it was not uh, very 
uh, good picture that I had drawn in my mind. Now I had all of this guiding fiction in my mind concerning the deacons. And so my concept of the deacons began with a bias that was totally incorrect and wrong and false. I've heard all kinds of jokes about the deacons. I heard all kinds of statements about them. And so when I passed, got the little church that I was to pastor, I, I, I did so asking this question, first of all, who are you deacons? And they had one in this little country church. And so my ministry began in a little country church with the idea that the, that the hard heads and the, uh, the toughies in the church were deacons. And every one of them just ate preachers, you know, for lunch. And I found that the greatest friends that I've ever had in my life have been deacons. Every day I try to spend some time thanking God for the people that have meant so much in my life. And as I begin to make this list in preparation for this sermon of the people for whom I give thanks to God every day, 90% of them were deacons. Some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life in any place were deacons. And I just, I don't understand the jokes that are being told, that have been told about deacons. And I, I must tell you that the greatest experiences of my life have been with deacons. I believe that some of the greatest men on this earth are men that God has called out and the church has recognized as deacons. Now, what is the role of these men who make the, up a part of the church? I, by, by the way, everyone tonight, let's, let's just see, each man here who is a deacon, would you stand? I just want you to stand a minute. You're a deacon at First Baptist Church. Look at that. Thank God for you men. Thank you, fellas. What, what is the role of these men who make up the office of the deacon? Follow with me in, in your text. Number one, the deacon is a source of encouragement. He is a positive voice in the life of the church. He is a source of encouragement. It's interesting when you begin to, to run a little word study on the word consolation and comfort and encouragement and you find it in the Hebrew text in the Old Testament and you find it in the New Testament its counterpart that the word means the same word that's used for the paraclete the Holy Spirit the comforter one who has been sent alongside to bear one's burden the deacon is a burden bearer. Somebody mentioned that tonight. He is a man who is a source of encouragement to the pastor and to the staff. There are people who kind of shoulder the weight of the world for the church. In the context of the verses I've read, these certain women who had who were proselytes who had come over into the Christian faith from another religious context felt like that these Hebrews were getting were, were being uh, uh, 
giving it been given advantages over them and they'd gotten the short end of the stick and so the deacons were called to be a source of encouragement and to bear that burden they, they were called in order that the pastor the apostles the leaders of the church might be freed to do the most important task that is pray and preach now I've been here a year, so I, have, I might have a little freedom now to do something, to say something to you tonight. I believe that, that, that my role as the pastor of this church, my primary role as the pastor of the church, is to preach and to teach the Word. Now, I, th I know there are a lot of other ramifications of pastoral ministry, which include... Which include visitation, and, and all of those kinds of things that must not be shunned or rejected by any pastor. But there is not anything more important in any kind of church context than the preaching and the teaching of the Word. I've assumed that responsibility here. I am developing in my own uh, philosophy as a pastor my role as it relates to First Baptist Church in Durant, and I believe that God has led me here to preach and teach these people. And so that's what I'm trying to do. That's why I'm teaching all of these discipleship groups. And that's why we have the Bible study at noon on Friday. And that's why I'm doing the college service. And that's why I want to teach on Sunday night. And, and folks, this kind of thing that goes on really, really does take time. Now, if, if, if a lot of stories have been told about deacons, a lot of stories have been told about preachers. For example, the only thing a pastor has to do is just work, you know, 30 minutes a Sunday, uh, and Sunday morning and Sunday night. You know, uh, I wish that were... I wish that were true. It just involves more than that. Now, if the pastor is called to the preaching, teaching ministry within the church, then somebody is going to have to bear a lot of the other burden, a lot of the other uh, load that exists that, that takes place within the church. And that, I'm convinced, belongs to the deacon. Secondly, the deacon is to be a worthy example. He is to be the epitome of the Christian walk and the Christian life. Now, if you'll turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to show us, I want us to look at some things concerning the qualification of the deacon. Now, when the book of Acts says, Look you out from among you. That word is give careful scrutiny and take your time and select certain kinds of men. In selecting a deacon, it is more than popularity. Involved is more than, than um, somebody who is charismatic. It, it, it involves more than somebody who is the wealthiest in the church. 
there are certain kinds of men who are qualified for deacons and there are certain kinds of men who are not qualified for deacons. And the third chapter of 1 Timothy describes, in my opinion, the, the qualifications of the deacons. Now, if all we can do in the rest of the time is just notice those qualifications, we've done something very important. Now, just hang with me, if you will. Get your notepad and ready. Look at beginning at verse 8. Deacons likewise. Now, what does that word likewise have reference to? It refers to the qualifications that, that preceded, the qualifications for the pastor. In the verses that precede in chapter 3, Timothy is, uh, is given the qualifications for the overseer, for the bishop, for the pastor of the church. And then he says, and deacons likewise. You know what that says? That the qualifications of the deacon parallel the qualifications of the pastor. Now there's a double standard. What you allow for yourself as a deacon, what you allow for the deacon within the church, a lot of times you would not allow for the pastor. What you, what you see and accept in the lives of some deacons, if you saw the preacher doing the same thing, you'd put him out, you'd fire him immediately. Now I'm not opting that you lower the standard of the pastor. What I am opting for is... What I'm pleading for is this, that the deacon have the same kind of respect to the same kind of qualification and the same kind of expectation that the pastor has. Now look at this. Now I'm going to say some things tonight that's not going to be popular with some of you. But I hope you don't, you know, take away the ice cream, you know, or anything like that. I hope you'll let me go on and have, but I, I'm, I'm going to say some things that are not going to be too popular, but I'm going to try to stay with God's Word. Let's watch. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. The word there is grave. Now, it doesn't mean to be somber and sober. It doesn't mean to be grouchy. It means to be men of gravity, inviting reference. It means dignified character. It means the kind of men that command respect. In my quiet time this week, I was reading, I shared it with my group tonight. In the fifth chapter of Acts, it talks about the apostles and it says that nobody would, would join up with them, that the crowds of people wouldn't associate with them, but they held them in high esteem. What that means is this, that you may not be popular, but it's important to be respected. That one's popularity is not as important as one's respect. A deacon is a man who has that about him which commands respect. Notice secondly, the deacon, verse 8, is not double-tongued. Now what that word means, what he's saying in there, is a person who makes different representations to different people about the same thing. Let me illustrate it. 
I had a man in my church one time, a deacon as a matter of fact. Not all deacons were perfect. But this guy, you know, in a deacon's meeting, we'd make a decision in a deacon's meeting, and he'd just be for it. You know, everybody in the deacon's meeting would just be 100%, and he'd just kind of sit, you know, over to the side, and when he saw everybody was just, you know, for that and, and favored that, you know, he just, you know, he was right there gung-ho. And then he'd go out on the outside of the deacon's meeting, and he had this little crowd that he ran around with that kind of opposed everything. It was trying, you know, everything new, any kind of change. And when he'd get with that crowd, he'd be opposed to what we decided in the deacon's meeting. First time I heard that, I couldn't believe it. I, I was on the street one day, and, and a guy said to me, I said, he said, I thought the deacons were unanimous in their decision. I said, they, they, we were. He said, well, old J.D.'s not for it. I said, J.D.'s not. I said, he was in a deacon's meeting. He voted for it. And as I began to talk with these people, what I found was that when, when, when he was with certain group, he was that way. When he was with another group, he was another way. He, it, it was consistent with him. A deacon is not like that. Now, it doesn't mean that a deacon is, is a yes man, he certainly has conviction. As somebody said tonight, he's a man of deep personal conviction, but he stands the same everywhere he is. Number three. A deacon is not addicted to much wine. That is, he is not given to alcohol, nor is he addicted to or is he fond of sordid gain? The word is given to filthy lucre in, uh, in the King James. Uh, I don't know what that meant for a long time. I treasure in this little country church I was telling you about, I got $12.50 preaching there on Sunday, and they gave it to me in cash. And his treasurer would come up and he'd say, here's this filthy lucre. I didn't know what he meant. Never heard the word before, but I thought, well, you know, must be some hidden meaning behind this. A deacon is not a man who makes the acquisition of gain, financial gain, more important than the glory of God. Let, let me say that in, in, in just common, ordinary day language. A deacon is a man who thinks more of doing God's will than making money. Verse 9, he's a man who holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now the word hold there means that he, he, he binds it together, he clings to it. And there is a significant association here between faith and ethics so that in the pure conscience as a vessel, he holds the faith he has perceived. And I, I think I can say it like this. He's a man who is what he says. Now, I, I appreciate what uh, one said about a deacon. He's a man who is the same on Monday as he is on Sunday. Oh, Thank you for saying that. 
A deacon is a man who holds the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That means what he says is what he really is. And there's no discrepancy between his profession and his practice. Perhaps the greatest detriment to the Christian faith is a deacon who professes one thing on Sunday and practices another on Monday. If there ever was this need, it is present today in the Christian community for a deacon to be what he says he is. Verse 10. Let these also first be tested. Now that's not a formal examination that a deacon has to undergo. It means with reference to the general judgment of the Christian community. It means that he is to be a man of unquestioned reputation. He's a man who has undergone the test of public scrutiny. He's a man of impeccable reputation. Somebody mentioned that tonight. Now I want to get to one, and I want to spend a little time with it that needs some explanation. And it is verse 12. When I finish this, we'll quit. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife. Now, now stay with me right now, will you? This is so important. And good managers of their children and of their households. Now, I don't guess that there has ever been a, a, a verse concerning the deacons any more debated than this one. What does it mean to be the husband of one wife? What does that mean? Now, let me say a couple of things in preference, in, in, uh, uh, to preface what I want to say when I begin to explain what I believe to be the teaching of this verse. First thing is this. I think we make a big mistake if we allow this verse to be the only criterion for selection of deacons. For example... There are some people who interpret this verse to say that if a, if, a, if a man has been divorced, he cannot serve as deacon, and that becomes the only criterion for his selection or rejection. I, I have seen this happen, that a man meet every qualification. He could be a man of impeccable character, a man of encouragement, a man who is not double-tongued, a man who is not given to, to, the, to uh, liquor or to the gain of financial gain. He, his, he's not interested in getting rich above the, the will of God. He holds the mystery of the Christian faith in a clear conscience. He has a reputation in the Christian community as a godly man, but he's been divorced, so he's not a deacon. That's the only criteria. On the other hand, on the other side, I have seen it happen that some men have been selected purely because they are charismatic and popular and dynamic. They have not been divorced 
but they fail other qualifications, but they are elected as deacons. I think we make a grave mistake, folks. Now, I know I'm saying some things that are not popular to some of you, but we make a bad, serious mistake if that is the only criterion for deaconship. Now, what does this mean, the husband of one wife? There are two sides, there are two interpretations of this. One is that this means that one cannot um, serve as deacon if he, has been, if he has been divorced and he has two living wives. The other interpretation of it is, and also with that, some say that it refers to polygamy or bigamy. It means that you can't have more than, than, than one wife. Other, another interpretation is that what he is saying is that a deacon should be a one-wife sort of husband, that he ought to be able to, to isolate and centralize his love in his wife and that his commitment and his love is to his wife. And he is a one-wife sort of husband. And when you see it in the context, which deals with self-control and temperance with regard to drink and possession and gifts and temper, that what he's saying, according to some interpretations, is that he is to be self-controlled in relationship to his in, in respect to his relationship to women. Now, if we hold to the letter of this verse, and it says that he is the, to be the husband of one wife, if we hold to the letter of that verse, strict interpretation of it, then we're going to say that a man whose wife has died and he has remarried, cannot be a deacon because he's been the husband. He is the husband of more than one wife. Oh, but you say, well, I'm, it means two living wives. It doesn't say that. It says the husband of one wife. As a matter of fact, in some commentaries, it suggests that it actually forbade, and this verse means that it was forbidding remarrying even if your wife had died. And really, if you stick to the strict interpretation of it, then a man who is not full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit cannot be a deacon either, you see. Is, there, is it true that every man ordained is filled with the Holy Spirit? If you stick to the strict interpretation there, that man is not qualified, just as, if, just as the man who has been divorced is not qualified. Now, how you interpret this is up to you. And that's your freedom. And that's the, that's the autonomy of a Baptist church. And how you feel about this is your conviction. And that's the glorious and good thing. One time I went to preach a revival in a church and some people came up to me and they, they were talking about they just elected some deacons and they had ordained a couple of men who had gone through a divorce. And they said, oh, our church is headed for disaster. And they began to 
moan and cry about the fact that they had ordained divorced men. And I said, you know, don't look at it like that. Look at it like this. These men were godly men, spiritual men, committed men, teachers in the Sunday school, Bible learners in the church, faithful to the work of God, witnesses. Most of the people who were saved during the revival were the result of their personal witness. I said, look at it from this positive aspect. Look at that. Say this from now on. God has given us some great men to lead us as deacons. Now, there are going to be some men that are going to be elected as deacons in First Baptist Church. And these men are going to serve alongside the pastor, and they're going to serve with you, and they're going to minister. That's what they're called to do. And the men that are going to be elected are going to be men that God has chosen. I have that confidence. They're going to be the men God wants to serve. Because I have the confidence of, in you that you're going to pray for God's leadership and you're going to select men on the basis of the qualifications. Not what you've always heard, but what God has led you to decide. In a moment, we're going to offer an invitation. Now, the invitation is not for you to come forward and say, I want to be a deacon, but the invitation for you to respond to God's leadership. I have a feeling tonight that there's some folk here who need to unite with our church. There may be some who would like to come and rededicate his life. We want to give you that opportunity. And so in a moment, we're going to sing together one stanza of Have Thine Own Way, Lord. You know the song. You don't need to look it up. And after we've had prayer, we'll do that. And if God has led you to come tonight and place your life here, would you do it? Father, I thank you that in your wisdom, your plan for the church, you've given us men to serve, godly men. Men who are dedicated, men who are consistent, and that your plan for the church rests upon the lives, commitment of men. And I pray for our men, not just the deacons, but our men. And I pray that you will give us godly men who are committed to your work. Add to your church tonight that which you would add. Call to commitment that those of us who have drifted, let this be a moment of dear, deep decision. Because I ask in Jesus' name and for his sake.